The first time that I felt the conviction of God in my life, I was about 17, 18 years old. I found a Bible lying around a house. I picked it up and began to read. And I just happened to turn to the book of John. And I read the story of Jesus. As I read, I knew that there was something in my life that was missing. I ended up putting the book down and I walked away. I'm the middle child of seven children. We grew up with an alcoholic mom and dad. When I was 14 years old, my dad passed away. So my mom was left to raise seven kids by herself. And by this time, I'm in 10th grade and I have a lot of freedom. I made a lot of bad choices. I had very little self-esteem and I turned to drugs. And I did a lot of drugs throughout high school. When I got out of high school, I knew that there was something that in that Bible that I had read, that something I just couldn't put a finger on, I couldn't explain it. During this time, my brother Ken gets saved and gives his life to Christ. And he was radically saved and he begins to preach to me. And I fought him for about a year. And then one day he asked me on a Sunday afternoon to go to church with him. I had a party, but I said, I, I meet you there. I left the party, I went to church. And uh, the guy spoke a salvation message. And when he gave the altar call at the end, I knew he was speaking to me and I responded. I ran up there. I went from this dingy darkness to this glorious light. It was like scales had fallen from my eyes. I was no longer the same person. God changed me. So I went back to the party and I told them and I thought that they would see how much Jesus loves them and cares for them. But, but they didn't. And within the next few months, I found myself going from having a whole lot of friends to having almost no friends. As time went on, God started working in my life. We had opportunity to start working in ministry. Here at LWC, we did the college and career age for probably 10 to 15 years, and we saw God do a lot of great things. A lot of people who are in ministry today came through the group with us. And one day, I was riding down the street, and a car ran into me, and it was a pretty bad accident. The doctor prescribed pain medicine for me, and I knew the history of our family of addiction, but I thought, you know, I could control the pain meds, but I soon found out that the pain meds were controlling me. I was miserable. My wife, my poor wife was miserable. She was so good, so kind, so loving, so understanding. We knew that we needed some help. Uh, one night, about one in the morning, I couldn't sleep. I got up, I watched this video someone gave to me. It was called The Spellbreaker. And God met me in that place. And the next day I told my wife, I need to go and get help. So the next day I called Brother Renee because we didn't want to hide anything. I knew that it was the truth that was gonna set me free from this. Brother Renee came over. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do to tell him that I was addicted to pain medicine. And he looked at me and he said, Vern, I want you to know that I love you and that we will do whatever we can to help you. You need to take the time that you need to get better. My wife was, was so good. She, she loved me through the whole thing. We had family, friends, who gave us money, who came and, and helped do things at our house. I truly saw 
the church at work through my family, friends, and church members. People were just so kind and gracious to us. And I let all of them down. And I felt so guilty and so shameful. It was so hard to tell our college group what I did. And I know I hurt a lot of them, and I'm still sorry to this day. There was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. The Bible says in Proverbs 24:16 that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And that's what I wanted my life to be. I wanted to get back up. I want to finish my life strong in the Lord. I want you to know that just like God has restored my family and my church family, He can do the same for you too. You may be out there, you may be struggling with addiction to pain medicine, maybe it's pornography, I don't know what your issue is, but I want you to know that God's love can help you. God's love can penetrate your heart. There is hope, there is hope. That was the thing that, that I thought I couldn't get off the pain pills and be happy, but I didn't know that you can, and through Christ you can do all things. And that's my story. Resurrected life. Over and over. The testimonies are a little different, but the story is the same. Jesus makes a difference in our life. No church is not filled with people who are perfect, who haven't had problems. Church is filled with people who are hurting, who are struggling, who have difficult problems, go through difficult struggles. But Jesus, Jesus makes a difference in our life. Today, We're going to continue our series on resurrected life. And the message I have today is so important. I want us to understand about sin and the lie that sin tells us. You know, we're living in a world today and... and I felt this the other morning as I was in prayer. felt like the Lord said that we're living in a culture that has cast off all restraint. Think about that. Cast off all restraint. And it's not real fashionable to preach on sin or talk about sin. And, and it's even gotten to the point to where if you talk about what the Bible says about sin, people attack you. And they say, well, the Bible says not to judge, brother. Or, who are you to judge me? You see, there is a lie, a very successful lie of Satan. And it's been going on for thousands of years. And the church has fallen prey to that lie. Even going all the way to the Garden of Eden. 
when Eve said to Satan, the serpent, God said, don't eat or touch of that tree. Now, she didn't quote God exactly because God only said don't eat it. But notice Satan's response. He didn't argue with her. He just said, you won't die. You won't die. You see, Satan is always about minimizing the consequences of sin. Somehow getting us to believe the lie that sin's okay. There's no problem. It's not as bad as you think. But there's an overriding lie that I felt the Spirit of the Lord put on my heart for this message. Because the truth of it is, if we are going to live resurrected lives, we have to win the battle against sin. I admit, it's true. We are on, in all in an ongoing battle against sin. That's a truth. But we have to overcome that battle. You see, we cannot effectively be a witness for Jesus in this world if we ourselves are in bondage to sin. We can't do it. And so a key part of winning that battle, of overcoming sin, is facing this lie. And the lie is actually pretty simple and clever. The lie is this. Your sin is your business and only affects you. And it doesn't affect anybody else. That's a lie. That's a lie. It has always been a lie. It is still a lie. Your sin, my sin affects many other people. Our sin is like a cancer that infects and invades and pollutes the purity of our soul. Sin steals every blessing that God wants to give you. Sin is like a fire that begins in one place, but fire never stays in that one place. What does it do? It spreads and infects and affects all those around it. So we're going to confront that lie. That lie that the enemy says that says, your sin is your business. Only your business. Not anybody else's business. And I want to share with you, and we're going to talk. Remember the story David sinned, and finally Nathan the prophet confronted David about that sin. And the Lord led me to that passage, those few passages, when Nathan is speaking to David. And as he speaks to David about his sin, He exposes the lie about how our sin affects many people, not just us. And so I want to just pose that one question to you. I want you to consider this question. How much 
does your sin cost me? How much does my sin cost you? I found that if we can really understand this, we have a powerful weapon in defeating sin in our life. It's amazing if you begin to look throughout the Word of God, you begin to see traces of this all through the Word of God. But I want us to read that passage. Now, this is the beginning of when Nathan is speaking to David. We're going to pick up at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Remember, he kind of confronts him. And he says in verse 7, he says, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then? Have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonite and stolen his wife. That shows you the very first answer to our question. How much does your sin cost me? Number one, your sin will affect those you love. Think about it. Your sin will affect those you love. If you had sat down with David two or three or four months earlier and said, David, in a few months, you are going to have your one of your best friends murdered. He would have said, you're lying. There is no way I would do that. I would never have one of my best friends murdered. But I want you to understand, sin will cause you to do things that you will not even imagine. It will cause you to do things to your family, to your loved ones, to your friends that you can't even fathom. Sin has an amazing negative impact on those you love. By coincidence, I received a letter just Friday. My past record isn't all that good in this town, and I'm somewhat like a fixture on the wall in this jailhouse. I'm labeled a criminal and a drug addict. I haven't been the best of company. Pastor Renee, I know you have a big church and probably a very, very busy. I pray somehow this reaches you. Probably the best day of my, of my of 2016 was when my son and I came to your church. My son was 12 years old. Every time I would raise my hands and worship the Lord, my son would imitate me and do the same. I can't describe the feeling I had. With all the wrong I've done in my life, I knew at that moment everything was right and God was smiling on me and my son. I've spent most of his life incarcerated. And God has given me a, gave me a relationship with him for the first time last year. I lost that because of my drug-driven life. I went from being in your church praising God with my son beside me doing the same to living on the streets with nothing and a family that wouldn't be a part of me in that condition any longer. Most of my existence has been dedicated to drug abuse 
and the prison system. I sit here on the charges of I'm not going to read that. It seems that the judicial system holds my fate in its hand, but I believe God will determine my fate. Christ has touched my life. Since I've been in here and let me know that he's not let go of me, I meditate on his word daily. I pray in language that the Holy Spirit gave me as a child. I believe in God and his power. I ask that you will put me and my son on a prayer list. Pastor Renee, I don't want to lose my life in the prison system. I want to be a better man. I want the Holy Spirit to touch others by the testimony of the life I've lived. I want to be back in your church with my son on my side once again. Pastor Renee, if you know of any Christian program that would be willing to help me and give me a chance, I appreciate your help. You wouldn't have to convince him that sin affects those you love. He knows it. He sees it. But you see the lie of Satan. One of the lies... But unfortunately, the most effective is that we believe that lie. That my sin is my business. My sin is none of your business. But the truth is, the truth is that your sin affects those you love. It cripples, it hurts. It destroys the dreams and the visions that your mommy and daddy had for you. You destroy those visions. The vision and the hopes and the dreams your wife has for you, your husband has for you. Sin will destroy those visions, those dreams and those hopes. The second thing I want us to see And that is that your sin will cost your immediate family and your heritage to come. I want you to look at the next verse that Nathan says to David. In verse 11, he says this, From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. You see what he just said. He just said, your family is going to be affected for generations to come. And you may say, well, hold it, that's not fair. This is the way it happens. When you give permission to sin to yourself, you give permission to your children and grandchildren to sin. Because they're watching You say, well, I don't want them watching. Well, they are watching. (laughs) I don't care whether you like it or not. It is true that your permission to sin for you will impact the lives of your children and your grandchildren. It will happen. What you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. And someone asked me one time, said, Brother Nay, why is that true? I'll tell you why it's true. Because you see, as we grow and we have experiences and we learn things and we get a little older, then we do things in moderation because we have learned 
of the consequences of those sins. But you see, our children, they don't have those experiences. And so when you do it, or you participate in that sin, when you make choices to sin, they don't have the experience that you do, and so they take that sin and they run with it. And they go whole hog into that sin. And it destroys their life. And so we've got to understand that when you say yes to sin, you just said yes to your children and your grandchildren. You just gave permission, broad permission, to those that you love, your immediate family. Even if you did not intend that to happen. I never will forget testimony. It was a pastor. I won't use his name. But we were talking about this subject, about how much our sin costs others. And he fell into sin, and he lost his church, lost his ministry. And I never will forget what he told me. He said, Brother Renee, he said, I had to call my children, my wife, and my grandchildren. He even had grandchildren. He said, I had to call them into my living room. And I had to tell them what I did. And that we were going to have to leave the church. He was losing his job. He was going to have to leave the church. And he said, my children were weeping. They had no idea. He said one of his grandchildren, some of them were young, they didn't understand. One of the grandchildren that kind of understood a little bit spoke up and said, Granddaddy, why did you do that if you knew that was going to hurt us? And he said, the only answer I could give them was that when I made that decision, I didn't fully consider the consequences of my action. So true. I want you to think about this. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. Remember the story? Potiphar's wife decided she was going to seduce Joseph. She had her sight set on him. But Joseph said no. But I want you to see what he said. Because it's obvious that his ability to say no in that tempting time was not based on willpower. He didn't have this great willpower. I'm sure he was tempted like any man was tempted. And if you think he was so holy that he wasn't tempted, you're kidding yourself. He was tempted. But he said no in spite of that. Look what he said. It's in Genesis 39. He says this, But Joseph refused. Look, he told her. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. You see what he just said? 
He said, I will not sin because of the impact it would have on my master, Potiphar, and on my holy God. He didn't say no because of his great ability to say no. He thought about the consequences of his sin in the lives of other people. He said, it will destroy my relationship with the holy God. I will violate the confidence that my master has in me. I'm not going to do that. And he did the most holy thing he could do, and that is run for his life. (laughs) Sometimes, guys, the holiest thing you can do is run. Now, unfortunately, she grabbed a hold of his robe, and when he ran, he ran with no clothes. And, of course, she used that as an accusation that Joseph tried to attack me. And here I've got his robe, and it got him thrown in prison. But in prison, God had a plan to elevate Joseph to second in command over the whole place, the whole nation of Egypt. So God worked all things for good. Even accusations that were false, God worked them for good. But the key is, is that you've got to learn that it's not our willpower. It's not our great ability to say no. It's having the eyes to see that our sin affects others. The third thing I want us to see, and that is, your sin will affect an entire nation and the kingdom of God. Look at this next passage, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13 and 14. Look at this. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So there's forgiveness. Look at 14, though. However... Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. You see, here's the ugly truth about our sin. It will affect the whole nation. 1 Corinthians 12 says, if one member in the church suffers, we all suffer. One is honored, we're all honored. And the truth of it is, when we sin, it affects the whole church. It affects the whole kingdom of God. You say, well, how, how does that work? Why is that true? Pretty simple. The very people that we are trying to witness to, that we're trying to win to Jesus, if we're in bondage to sin, how are they going to hear about Jesus If we're in bondage to sin, why would they listen to us? If we have bondage to sin, they're going to look at us and say, you're nothing but a hypocrite. Our sin affects the whole church and the whole kingdom of God. We have to learn to develop eyes and a heart that sees that our sin has greater impact. We, we want to reach a world for Jesus. That is my heart. I, and I know that's your heart. We want to reach a lost, hurting world for Jesus. 
But the only way we can do that, the only way we can tell them that Jesus delivers them is if we're delivered. And if we're in bondage, and if we're struggling, and we have hidden sin in our life, we are not effective for the kingdom of God. Non-Christians will ridicule our beliefs if we are in bondage to sin. They'll say, well, why should I listen to him? Why should I listen to her? And I know this is a tough part uh, to hear, but it's the truth. It's time for the church to rise up and say, We need to be set free from sin. I want to read to you a passage. It's in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, 13, and 14. Powerful passage. It says it this way. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove the dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. Don't you love that? Put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of Mardi Gras and drunkenness. Or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living. Or in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, clothe... I love this. Oh, I love this. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus. And don't think... Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You see, we've got to go from a church that is thinking about ways we can get, things we can get away with and still be a Christian to where we love the truth. We love righteousness. We have a hunger for holiness and righteousness. Why? Because we know if we don't have that place, we'll never reach a lost world for Jesus. We can't think about us. Now, if you're here today and you're struggling with sin, you're probably thinking, boy, I wish Brother Nate shut up. <laughs> I want to go to, the, I want to go get a snowball and I want to go have fun at the play and fun day. And if you just keep shut, you know, I, I, I'd be all right. Well, I have good news for you today. And the good news is actually in a story just a couple of chapters later. Let me just set the stage for you. David, he's the king. He has a son named Absalom. He had a son named Abner. Well, Abner raped his sister. And Absalom was angry because David didn't deal with it. So he murdered Abner. And when he did that, Absalom was banished from the kingdom. And Joab was David's friend. He was his confidant. He was his commander of his army. And he kept saying, David, you've got to get restored to your son Absalom. The reason he did what he did was because you didn't do your job. Come on, let's forgive him and let him come back. And David wouldn't even talk to him. He wouldn't even discuss it. And so Joab was a little sneaky. 
he decided to do something a little unusual. He hired a woman to make up a story. And so she did. And she went to David and she told him the story. The story was like this. She said, well, my husband was killed. And then my two sons got in an argument and fought. fought, And my, one of my sons killed the other son. So now I only have one son left. And now they want to kill my son, my last son, because of what he did. And so, David, I'm about to be childless. I, I, I'm, I, I don't have a husband, and now I'm not even going to have a son left. And, and my seed is not going to go on, and I'm not going to have a heritage. David, do something. And David said he felt compassion for her. And he said, don't worry about a thing. He said, I will see to it that your son is forgiven, that he won't be punished for this, and that he can come back and he can be restored to you. And he let her go. But she didn't go. And she spoke to David. And what she said, I want to tell you what touched my heart. I want you to see this. Second Samuel 14, verse 13 and 14. She replied, Why don't you do as much for the people of God as you have promised to do for me? You have convicted yourself in making this decision because you refuse to bring home your own banished son. Now watch verse 14. This is amazing. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. Oh, my heart rejoiced. What great news. And that leads me to my fourth point. God is working on ways to restore you. I don't care who you are, where you are, what's been going on in your life. I don't care how low you have been. I don't care what you've done or who has done something to you. God is working on ways to restore you. It says he's devising. God's working on a plan. I don't care where you are today. It doesn't really matter. You may be the person who someone hurt you. You may be broken and, and crushed because someone hurt you and offended you or abused you, or took advantage of you. God is working on a plan to restore you. Now, you may be on the other side. You may be the person who hurt someone. You may be the one who sinned, and your sin has caused a lot of pain to a lot of people. You may be the person who caused great pain to your family. Good news, God is working on ways to restore you and to restore your relationship with your family. God is working on ways. He's devising plans to restore you. That last song we sang in worship time, He is for you. 
He's not against you. He's for you. God is for you. He loves you. Every marriage in this room, He wants those marriages to work. Every relationship that you have in Christ, He wants those relationships to work. See, Satan hates relationships. With relationships come accountability. And accountabilities help us to walk in God. That's why Satan hates relationships. He wants us to be all alone. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us to be all by ourselves, so we have no accountability. You know, following this service, we're going to have Family Fun Day out there. You have to understand, this is not about fun. We're going to have fun. But it's about fellowship. We need fellowship. It may not be the best food you can get in town. But it's about fellowship. It's about relationships. It's about getting to know one another. It's about learning to love one another. Care about one another. Learn to be accountable to one another. Today, there's some people in this room, when I propose, when I told the Lord I would preach this message about how much your sin cost me he said there would be people in this room that they're crushed on the inside and they're still trying to hide their sin you see what we hide and cover God exposes and humiliates what we're willing and open to be open about He cleanses and forgives. That's his principle. You hide it, God will expose it and use it to humiliate you. If you're open and humble, humble yourself and acknowledge, God cleanses, purifies, heals. That's his principle. It's your choice. You have to be born again. You must be born again. In Vern's testimony, everything started in his life when he gave his heart and life to Christ. And it's true. You may think all your old lost drinking buddies are all going to be excited about you and excited about Jesus. No, they're not. <laughs> and you probably will lose all your friends. Probably need to lose all your old friends. Because you need a whole set of group of new friends. Christian friends. Friends that have a Christ-like attitude. That's what you need. If you're not born again, you need to give your heart and your life to Christ. See, you will never conquer sin until you were born again. You have no power. When you get born again, you don't become perfect, but you have the power of sin broken in your life. You are forgiven of your sin, but you have the power of sin in your life broken. So now you can say no. You can walk away. You can say, no, I don't need that. Is it always easy? No, it's not always easy, but you can say no.
And the more you recognize how much your sin affects others, the greater will be your ability to say no. That's just a truth. Now, the devil's going to tell you the lie. The lie is your sin's your business. You can do what you want. That's a lie. Your sin affects everybody. I ask you to bow your heads with me. Oh, Lord. Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all things, our Lord and Master, come to you in the precious name of Jesus. And Lord, I ask you to set your people free from the bondage of sin, from the trap of sin, from the lies of sin, from the cover-up of sin. Set your people free, Lord. Set us free so we can be bold witnesses for Jesus. Set us free so that we can be a, an effective witness for you. Help us, Lord. I bless the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing that song we sang earlier. You are for me. You are for me. Let's just sing it to the Lord. I'm going to make a call, an invitation in just a second. Let's sing it again. So faithful. So
you're not born again this morning, you get out of your seat, come right down here. I want to pray for you. Anybody? Right now. Run down here. Walk down here. Whatever it is. If you don't know Jesus and you need Jesus, you want to be born again. You want to be born into the kingdom of God. You want to have power over sin. Anybody? Anybody an opportunity? All right. After we're totally dismissed, if you want to be born again, I'll pray with you. This is what I also want to say, and that is, I, I, I just feel like there are people who are hurting here this morning. You've been offended. You've been hurt by by the sin of others, and you're still struggling. Or maybe you're that person that hurt your family you, you made choices that hurt others that destroys you too if you're if you fit in either one of those categories i'm just going to ask you to make your way down here i want us to pray for god to release us to release you the burden the hurt if you've been hurt by others or you've been the one who hurt others. Your sin has affected others. I just, I want to pray for you. Come on. Let's just be honest before God. Our choices sometimes crush other people. And sometimes their choices crush us. truth of it is is that if you've been crushed if you've been wounded if you've been broken by the sins of other people God wants you to be restored God has, is working on a plan to restore you God is not willing that you would stay hurt He is not willing that you would stay wounded He wants you to be healed maybe a father abused you. Maybe a husband took advantage of you. Maybe somebody was unfaithful to you. Maybe they physically hurt you. I don't know what the situation is, but God wants to heal you and restore you. God cares about you. And if you're the person who hurt someone else, and you're laboring under the guilt of shame, humiliation God wants to forgive you he wants to restore you I want you to believe this morning with me that short passage that we read in 2nd Samuel 14 God is working on ways to restore us God has a plan to restore you if you would be willing to say yes God wants to restore me. I don't care if you're the one who hurt or the one who got hurt. God wants to restore you. Come on now, let's raise our hands. We're going to believe God for a miracle this morning. The miracle of healing. A kind of healing that only God can do. It's an inward healing. It's a healing of our heart. We're going to agree together. 
join with me. Pray out loud with me. Lord Jesus, heal my heart. Heal me, O Lord. Restore me. Forgive me. I make a choice this morning. I forgive. I release. I let go of the people who have hurt me. I place them into your hands. Out of my hands. And into your hands. And I am set free. By the Spirit of God. I am set free. I'll never pick it back up again. Because it's in your hands. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Put a healing balm on my heart. And heal me. In the name of Jesus. Lord, forgive me for the people that I hurt. People who were hurt by my sin. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to forgive myself. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, restore me, Lord. I believe that you are working on ways to restore me. And I receive that, Lord. Thank you, Father. You are healing us and restoring us by the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Lord. Heal. Thank you, Lord, for restoring your people. Amen.